Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a Disney playing podcast helping you and your family save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. Today on episode four, we talk about Epcot 101, giving you an overview of the second park created in Walt Disney World for Orlando, and talking to you about the things we love about the park, the rides that are worth riding, and how best to tackle World Showcase. Subscribe to get new episodes every week on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. And if you have topics, show suggestions, or questions, email me, asajoeflies at gmail.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. In today's episode, we will be doing Epcot 101, but before we get to that, I just wanted to give a slight retraction or addition. Somehow, we got through the Magic Kingdom 101 episode, and, you know, we're just starting, and we were trying to cram it all into, you know, a short period of time, and I totally forgot to mention, happily ever after, uh, the new fireworks show, new as of May 2017, which I think is just a great fireworks show, a great audiovisual effects on the castle. And so that's something that's definitely worth seeing. And um, you do kind of have to get there a little early. You know, if I would try to get there at least half an hour before the show, 15 minutes, if you want to cut it close, but you know, it's definitely worth seeing. Now, Leslie, I know you used to watch wishes from the Polynesian beach. Do you want to just talk really quickly about, you know, where to go for that? Yeah, that's a great place to see everything. If you don't want to be in the mass of the crowds and uh, they actually project the music and the sound onto the the beach and the deck there. I, I tend to watch it from the deck right outside of Trader Sam's. So, <laughs> but that's a that's that's kid friendly. So you can take your kids there, and even if you don't want to be on the beach. Yeah, I will say that from what I've heard, Happily Ever After is a little bit more diminished than Wishes when you watch from the beach or from you know California Grill at the Contemporary, just because. The projections that are on the castle are so much a big part of the show that bear that in mind if you're going to watch it out there. But if you have kids like mine, you know, the fireworks are too loud for them. Like when I brought my daughter, I had to, you know, buy her like $20 noise protecting headphones from Amazon for her to be willing to see it. So, you know, if you have kids who are a little worried um, and younger, you know, those uh, further away places are a good place to watch the show. But we're not here to talk about the Magic Kingdom today. We're here to talk about Epcot, uh, Leslie and my favorite park, basically because we were little nerds growing up. Is that pretty much accurate, Leslie? Yeah. So I guess we're going to invite everybody else to come and geek out with us today. Definitely. I mean, I always loved the park as a kid because it was all that nerd and future stuff. Um, but of course, the future is now and we've gone way past that. But I still love the overall vibe of the park. Um, plus, there's a bit of nostalgia there. Definitely. The reason I loved it was, you know, the science and geeky stuff too, but I also just had a love for travel as a young age, at a young age, and World Showcase loomed very large in my childhood memory. Haha, <laughs> man, I hated World Showcase as a kid. Yeah, so tell us really quickly, what are the two different sections of Epcot? Because they're like fairly different uh, in terms of theme and what's there. That's right. It really is two parks in one. There's Future World, which has all of the things that are maybe not so futuristic anymore, but that certainly were when we were kids in the 80s and 90s. And um, then there's World Showcase, which is around uh, a central lagoon, a big circle, and there's 11 different country pavilions um, with lots of shopping and restaurants and rides. So it really feels like two parks in one. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I feel like 
if uh, you are drawing things out, you could probably do a half day at Future World and like a full day at World Showcase, um, depending on, you know, what you're trying to see and what you're trying to do. Speaking of which, um, there are three what people basically refer to as tier one attractions at Epcot. Epcot has a tiered FastPass system. FastPass, we'll have to do an episode on this, but if you have a Disney World ticket, you get three fast passes for free. That's kind of one of those things where you um, tap your ticket or magic band and you get to go on a much shorter line. At Epcot, however, there are three tier one fast passes, which means you can only choose one of those three to make up your fast passes. And so those three attractions are Soren, Test Track, and Frozen Ever After. Um, so we just thought since they're tier one attractions, we'd go through them really quickly. So Leslie, tell us a little bit about Test Track. What is that? What could people expect? So Test Track is a ride where you design your own futuristic car and you get to ride in it and race against other uh, designers. So it's a lot of fun. I, it has its issues. Um, I'd say if, if you've ridden Radiator Springs Racers in Disneyland, you've ri- ridden the next generation of Test Track, but it's, it's pretty good technology. It's pretty thrilling. So it, it might be worth it if you have a kid who's a bit of a speed junkie, um, for your tier one fast pass pick. Yeah. And the big thing about Test Track is that, uh, you, you end up going like, how many miles per hour do you go outside at the end? Like 66? It's up there. Yeah, I never measured. Yeah, they have they have a speedometer, but you like go on this really fast track outside uh, in a convertible. So definitely tie up your hair. So the next tier one ride that we're going to talk about is Soren. Basically, the best way to describe this is it's kind of making you feel like you're in a hang glider. Uh, you sit in these seats where your legs are dangling in this huge IMAX theater, and then when the ride starts, the floor just basically drops out from below you and you just feel like you're flying and uh, it used to be soaring over California, but now it's soaring over the world. So you just pass by all these different monuments and landmarks from all around the world, like the pyramids, like the Eiffel tower, the Taj Mahal. And, you know, it's just a really relaxing ride. If you are scared of heights, I would say uh, you might want to reconsider riding this, but Overall, it's not it's not a thrill ride in the sense that it goes really fast. I will say I took my daughter on it, and she doesn't. If you haven't established this already, she does not love loud noises, and there are like portions where like fireworks explode and things like that. So uh, she didn't love that part, but she did love the flying. She was very excited until all that stuff started happening. Minus the noise, it's a pretty good first thrill ride for a lot of kids. It's a forty inch height minimum, so a lot of kids hit that around age four. So my son is finally tall enough, so he will be riding on it this summer when I take him for the very first time, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to warn him about the loud noises because he doesn't love those either. Yeah, and Test Track is uh, 40 inches as well, by the way. A quick tip on Test Track, just in case we don't get back to it later. There is a single rider line. Uh, you won't get to ride with your family or friends, but for the most part, uh, definitely cuts down the wait time if you're uh, not trying to wait and if you have older kids who don't mind riding alone. All right, the last ride and the newest ride and the still the hottest attraction at Epcot right now, Frozen Ever After in the Norway Pavilion and World Showcase. Leslie, tell us a little about that. So this used to be the old Maelstrom ride, and it still maintains a little bit of the old school Norwegian weirdness, but it's been totally rethemed to be about everything Anna and Elsa. And it's controversial. I would say, I'd say it's a pretty good ride. I was a huge fan of Maelstrom and was really sad to see it go because that was, that was old school weird Epcot. But I think they did a pretty good job. It's thrilling. If you have a young child who's still having frozen fever, it's a must do. So, you know, that might be worth your, your fast pass tier one because it's, it is hard to walk onto that ride unless you're, 
I'd say first thing in the morning or very, very late at night. Yeah, if you are looking to get on Frozen and you do not have a fast pass, Leslie has a good post that uh, we'll add in the show notes uh, just talking about the kind of best strategies to minimize your wait times for Frozen. All right, Leslie, so in general, unless you're engaging in various shenanigans, you're probably only going to get to ride two out of the three of these rides um, without waiting a ton of time in line. You know, one, you can ride by rope dropping, basically getting to the park um, 15 minutes or 30 minutes before the park opens and just walking straight to that ride. And the other, you can fast pass. So if you're only going to get to ride two of the three of these rides, which one would you fast pass? Which one would you rope drop? And which one would you kill? Which one would you skip? What would you recommend? Ooh, ooh. Okay, so I mean, no question. My favorite ride of all of these three is Soren. That is the best ride. So I think I'm gonna fast pass that one just to make sure I get it and get the time I want. And then I'm gonna rope drop Frozen, and I'm gonna kill Test Track because you know I live in California, so I got Radiator Springs racers. I don't need to have Test Track. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I would probably. All right, I guess I'm gonna cheat a little. I would rope drop Soren uh, just because. I still think Frozen is pretty hot. So at Rope Drop, there's not a ton of people going to Soren. So I think you could be able to get on there pretty fast. Uh, I would fast pass Frozen uh, unless I wasn't interested in riding it at all. But I have young kids, so they love it. And I would if I was dying to do Test Track, do the single rider line. I think there's a chance that if you Rope Drop Soren and then go straight to Test Track, you might be able to get both of them in before 10 o'clock. Uh, but that might be pushing it. No, I think that's possible, especially if you hit that on a – on a day where there's not, you know, extra magic hours, folks already in the park. Um, I think that's definitely doable. The only problem is Soren sometimes can be a really long wait for, wait for a theater, even if the line isn't long. Sometimes it just seems to go really slowly. So hit or miss. If you luck out and get right into a theater, I think you might be able to do it. Any other attractions in Future World kind of just worth giving honorable mention to? Well, I'm a huge fan of Spaceship Earth. Um, it has had many different incarnations over the years. I think, I think Dame Judy Dench is the narrator now. Is that right, Joe? I miss Jeremy Irons, but, uh, she's a pretty good alternative. Yeah, they've had some classics, um, to narrate the ride, but that, that's just such a old school Epcot. And, you know, it's the iconic Ep- Epcot ball, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Spaceship Earth. So you get to go in it and there's a ride. It's nice and slow. The line's never long. It's usually a, a great family friendly ride to add to your itinerary. Yeah, I uh, really like Spaceship Earth as well. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And so it's kind of, it's definitely outdated since, um, the computer that they show is like the size of a room. Um, and from the 1970s. I would love to see them update it, but uh, I think that's a great ride. If you have kids, um, most of them like Journey into Imagination with Figment, although I don't love it anymore. I thought it was much better when I was a kid. And um, they have updated Mission Space, uh, the green version. There's a version that's like less intense, which is supposed to be kind of like a soaring light if you're interested in that. For the most part, though, to me, Future World is mainly those Tier 1 attractions I know Frozen's not in Future World, but those are the ones that I really care about. And, uh, oh, I'd also say the character spot in Future World is pretty nice because you can see uh, Mickey, Minnie, and usually either Goofy or Pluto separately. Um, so I think that goes pretty well. Let's talk about uh, World Showcase really quickly. How would you best recommend people enjoy World Showcase? There are really a lot of ways to do it. I mean, my favorite thing to do is just to stroll the entire loop and country to country and just do whatever strikes my fancy. And there aren't a ton of rides there. They're going to be more coming um, with the addition of a Ratatouille ride to France in the next couple of years. I can't remember the exact date, 
But so there's going to be more coming. But right now it's a lot of uh, just things to see, uh, shopping, dining. That's really where the best food at Disney World is in the most sort of concentrated place, I would say. So so I really spend my time in Future World usually in the evenings where I'm going to go out to dinner with my family. We'll talk in a little bit about some of the festivals that line the World Showcase loop um, different times of year. And that's a great thing to do to just stroll and eat and take in the sights. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, I just think as you stroll around the World Showcase, you will generally kind of run into different performing acts, whether it be taiko drums in Japan, or sometimes there are singers outside the American Pavilion. You know, I've seen like a juggling act outside of Italy. And so, you know, it's kind of the type of place where you just take your time, you wander into the shops, maybe go see one of the shows. Like a lot of the different countries have kind of um, video shows um, talking about that country and, um, you know, grab something to eat or grab something to drink. Um, a lot of people like to drink around the world. Um, yeah. And just uh, enjoy yourself and kind of enjoy the ambiance and, you know, take a little tour of the world um, without ever actually leaving the lovely confines of, Orlando. I would say Epcot is the park where you will walk the most, especially if you're um, at World Showcase. So bear that in mind if you have little kids. Um, you know, people take strollers even for kids who are probably too old for it, just because you know you could end up walking like eight, nine, ten miles a day. Uh, any places you prefer to eat at in World Showcase, Leslie? I really like the quick service restaurant at Japan. Oftentimes I find myself at Epcot without uh, dining reservations and it's possible to walk in some of the sit down places, but um, especially if you go earlier, if you go late, but if you're really going at peak time, like six, six 30, um, you're going to have to find a, a quick service. So I love the quick service at Japan, just good bento boxes, vegetables, healthy stuff for the family. If you're going to make a dining reservation, I really love the restaurant at Germany. It's a traditional beer garden with, you know, the big family style seating and it's a rollick and good time. I mean, it's definitely pretty stereotypical, but, um, you know, sometimes that's fun. Yeah, you took mine. Katsura Grill outside of Japan is my favorite. There's a nice koi pond outside. So if the weather's nice, uh, you can eat outside, but, um, that's where, Pretty much every time I'm at Epcot for lunch, that's uh, where I go. And, I, you know, I'd also recommend Via Napoli, the pizza place in Italy. Uh, the lines can get long, so try to get a reservation if you can. But uh, the great thing about Via Napoli is in terms of bang for your buck at Disney, I'm not sure you'll get better just because the pizzas cost more than you would pay for a pizza at home. I think 30 to $35 to feed like four or five or six people, depending how much you eat. However, that... 30 to $35 is one meal for one person. Most of the other sit down restaurants in Disney world. So, you know, I think, and the pizza is good uh, and the pasta is good there too. So I would recommend those. Have you ever been to Via Napoli? I have not, but I'm adding it to my list because my kids adore pizza and pasta and can sometimes be a little bit picky even at Disney world. So next trip, Joe, I'll take you up on it. All right. So we're almost out of time, but uh, you can't talk about Epcot without, talking about the festivals, basically I would say nine out of 12 months of the year uh, these days, Epcot has various festivals happening where in addition to the regular booths that are dotting World Showcase, there are extra food and drink booths that are kind of spread out amongst World Showcase. Um, so there's extra things to eat, you know, different things to try. Some of them are related to the countries they're from. Some of them are just random specialty drinks and cocktails. And so 
Leslie, off the top of your head, what are the three food festivals? And we'll just call them food festivals because let's be honest, that's what they are uh, that occur at Epcot. Test time. So there's the International Flower and Garden Festival, which is in the spring. It's happening right now as we're recording. Then there is the Food and Wine Festival, which is in the fall. And the newest one, which was added last year, is the Festival of the Arts, which I guess tends to be what January, February, sometime sort of in that dead season. The biggest yes, one it's is in cer- the dead season where they're trying to get more people to go. Yeah, the biggest one is certainly food and wine, and that's the most extensive. But the flower and garden is pretty much keeping up at this point. Yeah, and you know the flower and garden is just kind of ostensibly it's about flowers and topiaries, and they still exist, but really it's all about the food now. Um, I would say the most unique one at this point to me is Festival of the Arts, just because. They add in some art elements to it. There are different um, shows, musical shows, acting shows. Um, and also there's a paint by numbers thing where, you know, guests can help to fill in a mural uh, in Epcot and things like that. So personally, I really enjoy Festival of the Arts. It's a little more chill. There's not as many people. Um, it's a little bit less crazy. And I do like the art aspect of it. And you uh, get a figment topiary kind of overseeing the whole thing. What's your favorite of the three festivals, Leslie? I still have not been to food and wine, believe it or not. So I can't, I can't judge that one, but I, I'm with you too. I really enjoyed Festival of the Arts. Um, it still has a ways to go to be fully formed, but, um, I got to go last year with my kids and they were really eating it up and the lower crowd levels were just, you know, really made it to me because it's really hard when you have to stand in line at the festival booth with young kids for 20 minutes for one cookie. And we didn't have to do that during Festival of the Arts. So. Same answer as you, yeah, Joe. Maybe we just enjoy it because it's not hit it big yet and it's uh, still a little bit more relaxed. Exactly. Catching it on the way up. All right. So uh, we will talk a little bit more about the festival's next episode uh, when we cover when to visit Disney World and how long to visit Disney World. I think that's uh, about it for Epcot 101. Do you have any final tips that uh, we can leave listeners off with? So we didn't talk about this yet, but there are two entrances into Epcot, and I would encourage you to use them. There's one, a back entrance into World Showcase by the France Pavilion that is walking distance from some of the deluxe resorts uh, from Beach Club, Yacht Club, and Boardwalk. So use that entrance, especially if you're maybe having a character meal at one of those hotels, because the lines are often a lot shorter. Yeah, that's a great tip. I personally... My preferred method of transportation between Epcot and Hollywood Studios is walking. Uh, you can walk all the way from Epcot uh, International Gateway to Hollywood Studios. At this point, I find Hollywood Studios to just be a half-day park. And, you know, like you said, World Showcase is the perfect place where you can spend an evening or something like that. So, you know, to me, you could spend like the morning at Hollywood Studios and then walk over to Epcot and spend, you know, half a day there as well. And it works out. All right. So uh, that about does it for Epcot 101. As always, if you've liked what you heard, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with someone you thought might be interested in listening to the podcast. And you can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and drop us a review if you like what's happening. And uh, shoot me an email as flies to gmail.com if there are any topics that you'd like us to hit. Thank you so much, Leslie, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Joe.